And I want to invite you to grab your Bible and open it to Acts chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, a couple from the Old or the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira, tonight. And um, I, I like doing character studies. I like looking at uh, the people that God has chosen to remind us of and record for us and, and then picking out some things from their life that... Uh, maybe challenge us or cause us to think about aspects of our life and how we live. And there's some great lessons in Acts chapter 5 regarding this couple. And uh, I probably you, you probably know the story, but just to give you the setting, let's go ahead and read about the first 11 uh, verses together, and then we'll make some comments. A certain man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a possession... And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now it came about three hours later that his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young man came in and found her dead and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all those who heard these things. And just keep reading verse 12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And the believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. That's the story. Ananias and Sapphira. If you back up, you know, sometimes chapter breaks are convenient and helpful. Sometimes they're not so convenient. We, we owe a debt to the man who eventually, you know, went through and, and broke this up for us. But this is one of those inconvenient places, at least in my judgment, because it really ties. Luke is trying to make a contrast between what Barnabas had just done and what Ananias and Sapphira had just done. Barnabas had just sold some property and brought it and laid it at the apostles' feet and said, here, have it, use it however you want. If you can help some folks with it, help some folks with it. And then Ananias and Sapphira came and they too sold a possession and they laid it at the feet, but they kept back some of the proceeds that they got from the sale which was okay. No one told them they had to give everything. Peter said, while it was yours, you could have kept it. But to come and to pretend that you sold it for the amount that you were turning in to have people go, wow, Ananias and Sapphira are really good people. 
Look, they sold that and they gave that whole thing. They, they didn't even keep anything for themselves. They gave the whole thing to the church. That's some couple, Ananias and Sapphira. Well, because of that attempt at deception and because of a lie, God struck them dead. Pretty, pretty radical discipline. Um, we receive a little more grace maybe today than they did because I'm sure that most of us have probably told a lie a time or two in our life and we didn't fall down dead. But there was probably circumstances and rather than speculate about what those might be, there may be good reason why God dealt with them more harshly on this particular occasion than what he would have done with others. Um, But he was struck dead. His wife didn't know it. And she comes in and sees Peter, and he says, well, what about it? What did you all do? I heard you sold this land for this amount. And she said, yeah, for that amount. And he said, well, you're no better than your husband. You two have conspired to lie, not to men, but to God. And your husband dropped dead and so will you. And she did, and she dropped dead. And and it caused the church to fear, as you can imagine. Uh, God's serious about holiness. The church is serious about holiness. Being unholy and, and liars and immoral people, it won't be tolerated in the kingdom of God. And so those who were like Ananias and Sapphira, they didn't dare join. If you were like half-hearted, if you were lukewarm, if you were a hypocrite, you wouldn't go join yourself to that group of folks because that's what happens to people like that. But that doesn't mean the church dwindled. The church grew. Because those who were wanting purity and holiness and righteousness... They, they saw them as a group that were serious about trying to be godlike, and they were all the more added uh, to the church, both men and women. So let's go through and let's just pick out a few things that I'd like to share with you tonight, maybe four lessons from this, practical in nature, I believe. And the first one is this. If Ananias and Sapphira, either one, had been the person they should have been, this never would have happened. Um, it, it appears that this was Ananias's scheme. He's probably the one to blame. Because it says that uh, he uh, was with his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware. So it seems like this is something that he schemed up and she knows about it. But what if, as they're discussing this, what if, and I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sell this for $100, but I'm going to give 50 to the church, and I'm going to tell them that I sold it for 50 and I'm giving all of it to the church, and, and that'll make us look pretty good. That's what my plan is tomorrow, Sunday morning, when I go see the apostle. If she just had enough gumption about her to say, if you do it, I'm going to tell If they ask me, I'm not lying for you. I'm going to tell the truth. She would have stopped him. And if it was her plan and he was carrying out, and he said to her, if you do this, I will tell the truth. I'm not backing you up in this. They could have checked each other. 
It's one of the blessings of marriage. Have you ever found yourself in situations where maybe you, you are weak, but your spouse is strong? It's supposed to be that way. It's supposed to work that way. When I'm weak, then my spouse is strong. And when my spouse is weak, I'm strong. And, and it just doubles the, the, the odds of doing the right thing, being the kind of person you ought to be. That's one reason why it's so important to choose wisely who you marry. That's one of the reasons why we need to teach our young people especially that they need to marry someone that is absolutely in love with God because they will help our children go to heaven. There's no one, I don't believe, that will help you to get to heaven any more than a spouse or at least potentially help you. And I'll say it this way as well. There's no one that can probably keep you from getting there any more than your spouse. We need to choose wisely who we spend our lives with and who we marry. Ananias and Sapphira, if, if Ananias was just having a weak moment, if Sapphira just would have stood up and said, no, I'm not playing the game, he would have stopped. But she didn't give him that moral guidance. And nor did Ananias give it to her. But that's one of the things. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 talks about how the two are better than one. You remember all those statements? You know, if, if one falls, the other one's there to pick them up. And if it's cold at night, then the other can be warmed by the other. And, and he says two are better than one. And, and for all those reasons, and for all these moral reasons as well, when, when I am weak and I struggle with attitudes or, you know, uh, doing the right thing, it's at those times when if you're married and you have a spouse that's godly, they encourage you to do right. And the same thing in, in reverse. You encourage them to do right. That was Adam and Eve's problem. In Genesis chapter 3, you remember Adam and Eve. Eve is tempted, and Adam is not on the other side of the garden doing something else and doesn't know what's taking place. Genesis chapter 3 says that Adam Eve took that fruit and took of it and gave it to her husband who was with her. Where's the guidance from Adam? Where is the prohibition? Where is the, the attempt to block this thing from taking place? If you go back to that story, you realize that Adam... When he was told not to take of this tree and not to eat anything of it, Eve wasn't even yet created. So he should have spoken up, but he remained silent and it resulted in sin. Like I said, I know of no single factor that has more to do with your faithfulness and your getting to heaven, like we talked about this morning, than the person you marry. Choose wisely. Here's the second thing that I would like to bring out. Both of these, Ananias and Sapphira, both of these people were guilty of lying. Can we talk about lying today? Can we call a person a liar without being judgmental? You know, we we have done everything to to lessen the sting of lying. We've colored Lies, we have black lies and white lies. And we've, we've sized them. We have big lies and, and little lies. And 
I don't read of anything like that in Scripture. The Bible says in Revelation 21 and verse 8, all liars, not all big liars, not all big black liars, but all liars shall have their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. We need to be aware of how important honesty is. And I understand why to God. I mean, we're supposed to be uh, harbingers of the message that he's entrusted us with. And, and if we cannot be trusted, if people think that, look at us and we have no integrity, how will they ever believe us concerning the gospel message? We have to be impeccably honest so that people will, will trust the message that we have uh, to share with them. Not too long ago, uh, uh, I read an article in a Brotherhood publication, and it was written by a Christian, but this author said this, and I'll quote just a section of what she wrote. We need to teach our children to lie, to lie judiciously and mercifully and, and never maliciously. And she went on in that article to say, lying is just part of life. And so what we need to do is teach our children to lie kindly and judiciously, never to hurt a person, always just to help a person. Can you imagine a mother writing and saying that what we need to do is to teach our children to lie? But now, we may not be so bold as to say that, but I dare say that sometimes we've caused our children to lie. We've asked them to lie for us. Tell them I'm not home. Tell them I'm busy. Tell them, you know, and, and we, that, that phone can cause some of that. All lying, even judicious lying, as this person calls it, is unacceptable. Lying is wrong, period. A few years ago, there was a book that was entitled The Day America Told the Truth. It was a, it was a, a survey taken across our nation and 91%, it was a survey on morals. And 91% of Americans said that in that book surveyed that they lie regularly. 91%. I don't like that because those are the people I do business with. Those are the people who fix my cars and, and come and work on this or that and, and uh, sell me things. And I'd like to know that somebody I'm dealing with has some integrity and has some honesty. And somebody says, yeah, but you know, sometimes you just have to lie. No, no, you don't. But what about when they come up and they have this newborn baby that is ugly and wrinkled and, and just horrible looking? And they say, what do you think of my baby? What, what are you supposed to say? That's the ugliest thing I've ever seen. You can't say that. Um, so, so in that case, it's okay. No, no. Um, I, I used to say, you know, when somebody would do that, I would say, well, see, they'd say, well, what would you say if somebody did that? And I said, well, you can always say... All babies are precious. It doesn't matter anything. You know, all babies are precious. and Or all babies have beautiful eyes or something like that. And so I had a lady come up to me after church, and she shook her finger at me. 
and said, if you ever say any of my children are precious, we are going to have it out. Uh, so now I have to be careful about using that word. Uh, but you don't have to lie. You, you don't have to lie. And, and those who say, you know, in order to spare a person their, their feelings, it's okay to lie. I, I want you to consider, because that, that is popular. That, that is a growing um, ethical position that a lot of folks have adopted. That if you're doing good or if you intend good, it's okay to lie. There was a man that had a compelling story how he was kicked out of his home when he was just a child, and he was raised under a bridge. And he went to school, and he got himself all cleaned up and did the best he could and and made himself go to school and took care of himself and managed under a bridge for three years of high school and and then came to come in contact with the Lord and and obeyed the gospel and, and did all this. And, boy, wow. He has such a moving story, it'd bring you to tears. He traveled the country telling this story, later only to find out that the whole thing was made up. He was just making it up. But his justification in making it up was, if I can tell a lie to advance the cause of Christ, then how am I to be faulted? If I'm telling a lie that will move people to obey the gospel and avoid hell, then how can you fault me for my lie? That's even more compelling than how can I, if I'm trying to spare someone their feelings, how can you fault me? Does the Bible address that? Is it all lying or just a certain kind of lying that's wrong? Turn in your Bible, and you might even want to mark this. Turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 3. And I want you to see what the Bible, what the Apostle Paul had to say about this very issue. In Romans chapter 3, he says um, in verse 7, If the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? Now, he's talking like a man. He's saying, this is the argument I've been hearing. Some people say, you know, if I can tell a lie that brings glory to God, then why is that sinful? Because isn't our purpose to bring glory to God? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come? As we, and listen, here's what Paul said, as we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say their condemnation is just, He's contemplating, can we ever lie to advance the cause of Christ? He said, can we ever do wrong that good may come? And his answer is no. And if you say that's what we're teaching, that is slander, and your condemnation is just. We have never taught that. And so, you know, be careful with your words. Sometimes saying nothing's the best thing, but it's never right to lie. God has those lists of things that he feels are just an absolute abomination, and among them is lying, lying lips. So be careful. Speak the truth. Um, Ananias and Sapphira were guilty of lying, and there are many today who lie frequently, 
and don't feel any pains of guilt at all. But I want to remind you of what Revelation 21 and verse 8 says. Here's the third point. They were proud. Why, why would they cook up a scheme like this in the first place? Because they wanted to look big in the eyes of everybody else. Man, here's Brother Barnabas, and look what he's done. He, he's, he's sold this land and brought all the proceeds and laid it. Wow, you know how much glory he got? Do you know how people, how many people patted him on the back? Let's do that. But let's not give it all. Let, let's keep back some of it. It was pride. And again, that list of things that God hates, pride is among those things. Can we serve God without being thanked? Can we serve God when no one knows? Can we serve God when it's just between us and no one pats me on the back and no one thanks me and no one puts my name in the bulletin and no one, no one knows? That's the kind of character that we need to develop. Mark chapter 9 and verse 41 says that if we just give a cup of water in the name of Jesus, we'll in no wise lose our reward. We need to be people who go out from this building and Monday through the Saturday, through the rest of the week, we're doing good. And a lot of that good is done in your homes where no one sees, no one knows but God does. Hebrews 10, verse 6, or excuse me, chapter 6, verse 10, says that um, God is not unjust to forget our labor of love in that we minister to the saints. God takes notice of those things. Don't, don't feel like you have to have the attention. Don't feel like you have to do what you do to get somebody to pat you on the back. Know that God knows and let that be enough. And then here's the last point. They, they were short-sighted. Ananias and Sapphira, what, what are you thinking? You're, you're scheming to lie. By the way, they lied to God. They lied to the Holy Spirit. What's that tell you about the Holy Spirit? Sometimes people say the Holy Spirit is just, you know, the active force of God. It's not really a person in the Godhead. It's just like the electricity that runs through the wire. It's not... God himself, it's what God, just the power he sends out. No, the Holy Spirit's part of the Godhead. They lied to God, not men, but they lied to the Holy Spirit. Um, so the Holy Spirit is God, but it, um, th- they were short-sighted in realizing that God knows everything. They lied to God. I, I can fool you, and, and you can fool me. And people can come, and they do come to the building all the time with stories, down-on-their-luck stories. And sometimes they're telling the truth, and sometimes they aren't. Just this past week, somebody came in and said, we ran out of gas. We, we, we literally ran out of gas. We just got passed through your drive through and, and we're out of gas. Can you help us? And uh, the person was familiar and when they realized they weren't going to get the help that they wanted, the money that they wanted, they got in the car and started it and drove off. You know, I thought you were out of gas, but apparently they weren't. But um, those kind of th- people can lie to you, and, and they can fool you. you. You can't fool God. 
He sees. He knows. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 14 says that all the secret things, the things that nobody else knows about, the things that you got away with, you didn't get caught. God knows, and He'll bring those things into judgment. The fact that God doesn't exercise discipline immediately like He often did during Bible times doesn't mean that it escaped His notice. He still notices. And, and it's short-sighted to, to put that out of our mind and to uh, forget I saw just today, this afternoon, I was looking at something and, and I saw where a man had had a, a motorcycle wreck and, and he was actually killed in the accident. And a police officer pulled up, saw the man's shape and took money from him and a gold necklace from him and took it, thought nobody would notice. He forgot he has a dash cam recording everything that he does. And he himself was arrested for that that crime. Sometimes we just get so short-sighted and so busy with what we're doing and we're into the moment that we forget there's someone watching all the time. We can't escape the the, uh, judgment of God and the the eyes of God. And so from this short story in Acts chapter 5, we see... A tragic series of mistakes. We see why it happened the way it happened. We see how it could have been avoided. But learn from their mistake. Learn from the the character of Barnabas mentioned in chapter 4 and then learn what not to do in chapter 5 from Ananias and Sapphira. And I hope that we'll develop an attitude that allows us to say, like David said in the Old Testament in Psalm 139, He said to the Lord, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me. Are you brave enough, honest enough to say that to God? Say, God, look at me. Search me. Try me. And see if there's any wicked way in me. I'm coming to you saying that I want to be right. And if there's something wrong, it's something I don't know about. You're free to check. If we can develop that kind of honesty and integrity about ourselves, we'll be a long way in developing the character of Christ. If you're here tonight and you're not yet a child of God, know that the Lord sees everything. We don't get away with sin. The fact that you don't drop dead today like Ananias and Sapphira did doesn't mean that you got away with it. It's just stored up and will be brought up again someday if you don't get it forgiven. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If we are baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, all those things will be done away with, erased, and never brought up again. If you haven't done that, do that tonight. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful, And you need the prayers of God. Maybe you've been short-sighted in your life and you just haven't really been thinking. Well, think. Isaiah said, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be white as snow. Though, Though they be red like crimson, they can be white like wool. Think 
And if you need to make your life right, we'll pray with you to that end if you'll come as we stand together and sing.